Hey guys, welcome back. So today is the Friday update of the University of Idaho murders. So if you don't know about those four students who were murdered at the University of Idaho in their off-campus home on November 13th in the early morning hours between 3 and 4 a.m. I'm not going to go in to all of the details about the case since I've already done an Idaho update. You can find that. I'll link it below. This is a continuation of what we've learned in the past week and a half about the University of Idaho murders. That way you have a place that you can come every single week, get the most up-to-date information because I know right now there's a lot of information that's coming out about this case and it's kind of hard to decide and really distinguish between what's fact and what's rumor and you know the reddit threads are going crazy the media is going crazy so this is going to be your place where you can come once a week grab the information about what's come out what's confirmed and then move on and then now you are kind of caught up with the case So on Wednesday, November 30th, authorities working the case said that they so far have collected, quote, hundreds of pieces of evidence. This includes more than 113 pieces of physical evidence, and crime scene investigators took, quote, approximately 4,000 photographs and conducted multiple 3D scans of the home. In total, investigators have conducted over 150 interviews, and by December 6, police said that they had received 2,645 tips via email, 2,770 tips via the phone, and over 1,000 84 digital media submissions. The Moscow Police Department issued a statement on December 6 saying, quote, We believe someone has information that will add context to the pictures investigators are creating of what occurred that evening. Our focus is the investigation, not the activities. Your information, whether you believe it is significant or not, might be one of the puzzle pieces that will help solve these murders. Then police also shared that they are still seeking, quote, all outside surveillance from several Moscow sites from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. on Sunday, November 13th. On November 16th, Moscow, Idaho police chief James Fry told reporters that investigators believed it was a, quote, targeted attack. In the following days, however, police did not clarify that comment or explain how they could make that statement without a suspect. Then in a statement on November 30th, the department walked back on the targeted attack claim while addressing recent conflicting comments made by the Lataw County prosecuting attorney, Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson said at least one of the victims was, quote, undoubtedly targeted in the attack. The police department called Bill Thompson's comments the result of a, quote, miscommunication. Then, shortly after, police clarified that they still believed the attack was targeted, quote, but have not concluded if the target was the residents or the occupants themselves. Olivia Gonzalez, the sister of victim Kaylee Gonzalez, told News Nation's Chris Cuomo on November 28th that police have not given the families any more information about the target or what that means. On December 6, police said that beginning the following day, December 7th, they would be removing some of the victims' personal belongings from the house and releasing them to their families as they are no longer needed for the investigation. The house has remained an active crime scene since the 13th of November and will continue to be an active crime scene. On November 30th, authorities moved five cars from the crime scene so that they could continue processing evidence. However, sources have shown that the cars have been outside in a tow yard and it has been nonstop snowing in Moscow, so any trace evidence left on the outside of the vehicles is most likely gone. Earlier in the investigation, police had seized the contents of three dumpsters in the area but had no useful evidence was uh, found. On December 7th, police said in a press release that they were looking for the occupant or occupants of a 2011-2013 white Hyundai Elantra that was, quote, in the area when the students were killed. 
because this person may have critical information to share regarding the murders. This was discovered via body cam footage that came from a disturbance across the street of the residence of the victim's house around 3 a.m. The white Elantra is seen driving away from the residence. Police came out and said that they questioned both a man in a white hoodie, who was seen in a video of Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonzalez at the food truck, as well as the person who drove the two of them home that night from the bar. Police said that they do not believe either person was involved in the killings. The department said in a statement, quote, to protect the investigation's integrity, specific results such as fingerprints, hair, fiber, blood, and DNA evidence will not be released. And the department also said that the killer was sloppy and left behind a lot of evidence. Police do not believe Kaylee Gonzalez's ex-boyfriend is a suspect, despite the six phone calls made to him from Maddie and Kaylee right before the murders took place. Police Chief James Fry said the initial 911 call was made using one of the surviving roommate's phones, but he would not confirm the caller's identity. In addition to the two surviving roommates, there were other friends at the house at the time of the 911 call that was made around noon. During a press conference on November 20th, a week after the killings, Chief Fry said that the police were not sure how many other people were in the home when the 911 call was placed and did not clarify when the other friends arrived. Moscow police have said that the investigators have looked extensively into reports that Kaylee Gonzalez had a stalker. They said, quote, they have pursued hundreds of pieces of information related to this topic and have not been able to identify or verify a stalker. That was as of November 22nd. But then, in an update shared on December 5th, Moscow police said investigators had identified an incident between Kaylee Gonzalez and a man who they did not publicly name that, quote, may have been the stalker reference she made to friends and family. According to the police detectives, they did not find any evidence suggesting that there was a pattern of stalking linked to this specific incident. Police said, quote, in mid-October, two males were seen inside a local business. They parted ways, and one male appeared to follow Kaylee inside the business and as she exited to walk towards her car. The male turned away, and it did not appear that he made any contact with her. Detectives contacted both males and learned that they were attempting to meet women at the business, and police then added that additional probing led investigators to, quote, believe this was an isolated incident and not an ongoing pattern of stalking. There is no evidence to suggest that either one of these men was involved in the murders. Police described the murder weapon as a large fixed blade knife and it has still not been found. A former FBI agent and retired profiler, Mary Ellen O'Toole, who is not part of the investigation, told CBS News that it was highly likely the offender left a lot of physical evidence behind and may have even cut themselves as they stabbed the victims. Mary said that it was likely, quote, a pretty sturdy knife and a very effective cutting instrument. She also added that the offender likely had experience using this kind of weapon, and because of this, Mary said that the offender probably would not get rid of this weapon. On December 1st, police said that investigators learned of a sixth person who was listed on the home's lease. However, investigators said in a statement that they, quote, do not believe that that individual was present during the incident. This person has still not been identified. Kaylee Gonzalez's dad has been speaking extensively with the media and on December 4th told Fox and Friends that the entry point was the middle floor of the home. He said, quote, so to me, it, he doesn't have to go upstairs. His entry and his exit are available without having to go upstairs or downstairs. Looks like he probably may have not gone downstairs. We don't know that for sure, but he obviously went upstairs. So I'm using logic that he chose to go up there when he didn't have to. Mr. Gonzalez also shared that the means of the deaths of the two women, Maddie and Kaylee, don't match. He said, quote, they don't match. Their points of damage don't match. 
I'm just going to say it. It wasn't leaked to me. I earned that. I paid for that funeral. I sent my daughter to college, and she came back in a box. I can speak on that. His statements came days after the local police retracted their previous statement about the target being one or two residents of the home. Mr. Gonzalez said that the investigators have been, quote, tight-lipped about the information about the homicide and keeping everything close to their vest. He also added, quote, I understand that, and I'm probably not the right person to share all these things with, so I'm just trusting that their case is super tight and that they don't really need to reach out to the community, and all the evidence is right there in that home. As of December 7th, Kaylee Gonzalez's dad announced that he is raising money to hire a private investigator to look into the killings. He said that he's frustrated that more than three weeks have gone by without any named suspects or persons of interest in the case. Mr. Gonzalez said, quote, I do not feel confident, and that's why I push the envelope and say a little bit more. I hate to be that guy, but everybody has a role to play in this, and this is my role as a father. Mr. Gonzalez and his family also chose to hold off on Kaylee's funeral as they were scared that the murderer would show up and attend the funeral um, and just in case you didn't catch it the first time. So when you walk into the house, you walk in on that middle level. It's a house that's kind of built into a hill. So two roommates that survived the attack were on the bottom floor. So when the person walked in, they could either go up or down or stay on that floor. The sleeping roommates who were not harmed or injured during the attack were on that bottom floor. Ethan and Zana, who were murdered, were murdered on that first floor as you walk in, as the killer walked in through the sliding glass door. Nancy Grace came out yesterday on December 7th saying that the order of the killings was that Ethan and Zana were first, and then the killer went upstairs to the bedrooms of Kaylee and Maddie. That's why everybody thinks that the targets were Kaylee and Maddie, because if they truly were Ethan and Zana, you wouldn't need to go upstairs. But there's obviously so many speculations or things that you could say to combat that. Say, like, Ethan and Zana were awake, so that killer had to kill them first and then go upstairs. Either way, the order came out yesterday from Nancy Grace. I will put that um, report down in the show notes. A longtime criminal defense attorney, John Henry Brown, who represented serial killer Ted Bundy, shared that there are a lot of similarities and then the differences between the horrific acts of his infamous former client and those of the uncaptured killer behind the University of Idaho murders. John Brown served as a criminal defense attorney for Ted Bundy in the 1970s and the 1980s, and to this day, he said that Ted Bundy has haunted him throughout his entire career to the point where he actually prefers to not speak to him and discusses him as, quote, being born evil. Several people throughout this investigation have drawn comparisons between the unsolved stabbing deaths and Ted Bundy's crime spree of the 1970s over the last three weeks. And Brown, who's now a Seattle-based defense attorney with at least four decades of experience, said he sees a lot of similarities between these two. He said, quote, just the randomness of it is actually something that does stand out. Of course, most of Ted's misbehavior was random. There were times when Ted would follow people and then decide not to kill them. And that was his way of exercising his grandiosity, which, you know, is the I can control life here and there. John Brown pointed out how the University of Idaho victims were involved in Greek life, much like Ted Bundy's 1978 murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy, who were Florida State University Chi Omega sorority sisters. He said that the crime scene at 1122 King Road in Moscow, Idaho, was basically a de facto sorority house and described the victims as a, quote, really attractive group of people. 
John Brown said that Ted Bundy held animosity, quote, toward women in general because of a breakup he had when he was in college with somebody who he, I think, held a grudge against forever. His crime spree, according to what he told me, lasted for probably about four or five years because he was before he was apprehended in Utah. Bundy was arrested in Utah in 1975 and was sentenced to prison time for aggravated kidnapping. He was facing several other murder charges when he escaped his Utah jail cell two years later. On the run, once again, Ted Bundy made his way down to Florida, where he continued his killings. Bundy was found to have attacked four female victims and killed Roman and Levy when he entered the FSU Chi Omega sorority house in January of 1978. He then went elsewhere to continue his attacks, and one month later, Bundy was arrested in Florida and later identified as the wanted killer. John Brown said he believed that his client, quote, would have never been caught if it wasn't simply sheer luck of a police officer who stopped him for driving a stolen car. Ted Bundy was ultimately convicted and later executed for the women's deaths and also for the murder of 12-year-old Kimberly Leach. Ted Bundy allegedly admitted to killing at least 30 people before he was put to death. John Brown said he believes that the Moscow quadruple homicide was a, quote, crime of anger and rage. The Moscow Police Department is urging the public to submit any images or information that they could think would be important or useful to their investigation. They can do so by calling 208-883-7180 or submitting tips through the tip line, which is tipline at ci.moscow.id.us and sending any digital media to the link below in the show notes. So that's really all the updates that we have. There's not really anything else that's come out. And honestly, I'll give my personal take now. And if you just came here for the facts, then totally get it. Hop off. But my personal take is that it was somebody that, one, it was either random like a Ted Bundy instance where, you know, this group was seen and maybe the guy, this, I think it was a male, the guy didn't know that the boyfriend would be in the house. He thought it was a house full of girls going basically do a Ted Bundy style killing or it was a guy who was denied by Maddie and Kaylee. Basically, ego got shot down, anger came into play. I think that this person has experience in hunting using a knife like that. Um, I don't have anything against hunters. I just I just think that this person has was has experience with hunting. And I do think that the police are very close to knowing who did it. I actually have a feeling that they do know who did it. They're just looking for more evidence to make it stick. And, you know, we covered a case last night that's going to go up on Monday where it's still to this day an unsolved case, but the police know who did it. They just don't have enough evidence to make it stick. And it's so, 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 so important to have that good substantial amount of evidence that's going to hold up in court because you get one shot. You can't charge somebody with the same crime twice. You don't get multiple chances of, okay, well, we didn't have enough this time. Like, let's get him again. You have to have a lot and you have to make sure that the jury can sit there and, and confidently convict this person of being guilty and that there's absolutely no doubt in their mind that it wasn't this person. So just kind of some things to keep in mind. I know there's been a lot of frustration online about you know, the case not being solved, but these things do take time and you want them to get it right. You don't want it to be rushed. You don't want it to be wrong. You get one shot and you don't want to keep somebody who's this dangerous and this brutal out there. So I know it's really hard. It's really, really hard to sit here and watch it. And my heart aches for these families, but we have to have confidence and we have to have patience that the police department's going to get it right. 
when they don't get it right or they're like you know five years from now like the Delphi thing and we can like really start to get aggravated but right now being three weeks out we just have to be patient and just helping as much as we can so thank you all for listening we will be back on monday chase is actually doing his first episode so super exciting and we will see you guys in the next step these updates will come out weekly on fridays but i will let you know in the thursday episodes or on the instagram if there's no new information to share so see you on monday